0: As we come this morning, we are in John 17, finishing up the prayer of Jesus for His disciples in the upper room. Uh, We've been in in the upper room from John 13 through John 17. There's this extended period of time where Jesus has with His disciples uh, on the night that He is betrayed, His last night on the earth, that He spends time sharing with them, teaching them, preparing them for His departure, and, and finally at the end of the chapter, praying for them. And so here we are in the last few verses of the end of Jesus' prayer over his disciples. Here then the word of God, beginning in verse 23. He says, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given to me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given to me before, uh, because you loved me before the foundations of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you and these know that you have sent me and I have made you known to them. I have made known your name to them and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we gather this morning that we might sit at your feet not only to lift our hearts in worship, but to open our hearts to know you and to love you and to have you speak into our lives with power. And so as we spend time now with your word, we long for you to draw near. Draw near to us and fill us with your Spirit and give us eyes to see and answer that prayer of Paul in Ephesians 3 that that we might have power together with all the saints to grasp the dimensions of your love. That we might be filled with all the fullness of our God. Your fullness. This we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I'm just preaching on love again this morning, I, I almost skipped it, I'm, I was reading through the text, and as I read these verses, and we're studying them, and just thinking, um, you know, maybe I'll just skip this and move on to something else, because it's, it's about love again, and we've talked about God's love a fair amount, as we've preached through John, and, and not, uh, not too long ago, we've touched on a couple of things, in terms of abiding in God's love, as we talked about the vine and the branches, but also that there's no greater love than this, than God has for us in Christ, that He would lay down His love for us, and even as we should um, enter into that kind of love. But I didn't skip over it for a couple of reasons. One of them is uh, what I would call proportionality. And that is that you know one of the errors that I think people make out, out well, that we tend to make in, in the Scripture, is that we tend to, to sometimes drill down and spend more time hammering it away at things that the Scripture doesn't spend a lot of time on. And then we tend to often skip over things where the Scripture repeats itself again and again, where God says again and again. In other words, that as often as the Scripture lays emphasis on it and talks about it, that we should give the same emphasis to the same things. And if we return again to the topic of love, that's because Jesus does. And so I thought it was not a bad idea. And plus, as we've spent all this time with Jesus in the upper room, as He closes out His prayer over His disciples, uh, it's a prayer for love, it's a prayer about love. And uh, I would want to end his prayer on the same note that he does. And so we, we press in again. And besides, do you ever tire of the people who love you telling you so? Uh, generally, we don't tire of hearing it. So hopefully, hopefully, you will not be tired of hearing it this morning as we talk about Jesus as he spends his time with his disciple and really giving in his prayer a summary of his whole ministry, what he's been about and what he's been after in, in, his, in his entire life in ministry. What he's seeking to accomplish. And as he closes out the prayer and he focuses on some of these things that we've talked about, in verse 23, he talks about that mutual indwelling. Right, that's the way the, the, uh, the theologians talk about it because he says that those mysterious things, I am in them. That is, Christ is in us. And He says then that you are in Me. The Father is in the Son. I think it's John 14.20. He says that day you disciples will know that I am in the Father, that you are in Me, and I am in Him. And there is this, right? Christ is in us, but Christ is in God. So we are in, in God. And there is this connection, this relationship, this spiritual bond that exists. And we talk about on the large scale this spiritual reality that we enter into in Christ as the body of Christ. It's all accomplished by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, Jesus says in John fourteen twenty three, "It's there in your bolt." And He said, "If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him, and we will make our home with him." So Jesus' promise is that He and the Father would come and make their home in us. I in them, and you are in me. And he says that this is going to happen as he sends the Holy Spirit. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uniting us. Filling us. There's this, creates this profound spiritual unity. The people of God, the temple of the Holy Spirit. God the Son laid aside His glory. He lived as a man. He died on the cross. He rose again. And he says that He has done all of this. To accomplish something, to create something, to create the church, to create us. And that's what he says in the text. He says, I am in them and you are in me, that they may become perfectly one, that they might become something in us. That this body of believers on the earth, this group of disciples would be be formed and become something with us, in us, united with us, filled by the presence and power of God. He creates this thing and he says he does it for a purpose. And that the purpose is missional. Right? He says He wants the world to know two things. In verse 23, I and them and you and me, so that they may become one. And if you don't pay attention to the so that's in Scriptures, I hope that by the end of today and we hit a few of these so that's, that they would jump out to you as you put things together. And Jesus says, all of this has happened. And He's praying this for His people. And He says, so that the world may know. That the world may know. It's missional. And there's two elements to it. He says he wants the world to know two things. Right? He says, I want the world to know, number one, that you sent me. Right? That I am indeed who I said I am. The Son of God, the Savior of the world. That, I, that He is who He says He is. That you sent me and that you have loved them even as you have loved me. He wants us to understand as He prays over us so that we would be witnesses, so that we would bear witness to the Savior and to His love. This is the purpose of Jesus, the missional purpose. We exist as a people, as a church, so that the world may know that we would be a witnessing community to the Savior and to His love, and the credibility of our witness is based on those two things as as it is manifested, incarnated in the church, in our unity and in our love. That our witness would have credibility to the world, that they would believe in Jesus because of what they see in the lives of His people. So as Jesus closes out His prayer, I want us to see one more time then the power of His love, this work that He is doing, this thing that He is creating as a witnessing community on the, on, left on the planet. Why are we still here, we talked about. Why are we still here? This witnessing community, and as Jesus prays over us, I want us to see that it is the power of God's love that creates it, that sustains it, that empowers it, that fills it with hope that, that gives us everything that we need for life and for godliness and for witness. See, I believe that if we get this, and I, I decide as we dwell on it one more time, this, this issue of God's love for His people, that if we get this, we will be worshipers. Right? We will respond as Jesus describes it in John chapter 4, that it would be a well of water springing up to eternal life in us. That the Christian life would be that which wells up within us. We would gladly deny ourselves. Pour out our lives. Sacrifice and give and serve and seek first His kingdom because His yoke is easy and His burden is light. Were the whole realm of nature mine. It would be a present far too small to respond To what Jesus is telling us in these few verses. And if we don't get what Jesus is saying in these verses, and we don't understand where he is coming from and what he is trying to communicate to us about the love of God, then the Christian life feels entirely different for us. It feels more like obligation, like duty, like like a yoke, a yoke that we will chafe underneath. And it will be hard. We'll be trapped, really, living for ourselves, indulging in ourselves, living small, self-protective lives. Because there's only one thing that sets us free from a self-centered life to a truly God-centered, Christ-centered, kingdom-centered life. There's only one thing that has the power to do it. To set us free from our self-indulgence and in our, in our self-protective cocoons. And that is the power of God's love, brought home to the soul through the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. And we are dealing with something that is awesome. And I don't I hope we can unpack and, and touch on it in here again. Is, is Jesus says these things in prayer over these guys? But the awesomeness of what he is saying almost glides by in a breath. There, we touch on something so mysterious and so. Awesome. So utterly difficult to grasp. Something so hard to believe almost that it is true. That most of us, for most of our Christian life, wrestles with, wrestle with truly believing it. Truly allowing ourselves to rest, to bask in the truth of what Jesus is praying over His disciples. It actually takes a special work of God's Spirit. There there is a way that you can come to know it in your head and nod your head to it, but it really doesn't bring home into a life-transforming power. That it actually takes a special work of God's Spirit to soften the heart and open the mind to truly hear and to embrace and to then experience The love that he's talking about. I'm talking about Ephesians 3. It's there in your bulletin under the second point. We've been here before. We return here again. Paul prays for the church just as Jesus is praying for his church. And he prays the same thing. That according to the riches of God's glory that he would grant to his people strength with power through his Spirit in the inner being, in the soul, so that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. You see all the so that's in there? He says, I pray for strength and power by the Spirit of God and the inner man. Why? So that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith. Now why does he want Christ to be so close and to be to be in the inner man and dwelling in our hearts by faith? Why? So that he says you being rooted and grounded in love would have the strength, would have the spiritual capability to comprehend something that apart from Jesus dwelling in our hearts by faith by the power of the spirit in the inner being we would not get. Why? Because he even says it surpasses knowledge. It's not something that you can reason your way to. So that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith and we would comprehend the dimensions of the love of God for us in Christ. And then he says, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. There is the Christian life right there in that last phrase. All that other stuff needs to happen. Because the Christian life flows out of that last phrase, filled with all the fullness of God. right? Christ dwelling in our hearts by faith in the power of the Holy Spirit, bringing home to us the dimensions of God's love for us. And out of this flows everything Christian. His yoke becomes easy. His burden becomes light. It springs up and it wells up within His people. And it flows into a life that serves, loves, and gives itself to God freely and graciously. The love of Christ. See, it is the knowledge and the certainty of God's love that comes into the inner experience of the soul with transforming power. Because there are many times that we wonder, where is the change? Or where is the power to be and to do all that God wants for us? And I believe that Paul and Jesus both put their finger on it right here, right? And they they try to pray it into God's people. Both of them are praying it into God's people. Jesus is praying it over us. Paul is praying it over us. What Jesus is praying that the world would know, what Paul is praying that we would know and get and understand and experience. And the answer, and the reason that they do this, I believe, is in, in in both cases is going to be because we cannot convincingly bear witness to a savior and his love unless we are truly experiencing it ourselves. And so it must be sought just like Jesus sought it in prayer for his people, and just like Paul seeks it in prayer from God for his people, that 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 only through prayer and the seeking of God in his word and in relationship does this love come home to us in a way. It changes everything. Soul-saving, life-transforming love. As God the Father has loved the eternal Son, so it says He has loved you and I. Right? Jesus says, as you have loved Me, so... He loves His people. John says in 1 John, and we're going to touch on his letter of 1 John many places, and you need to understand as John writes the, the Gospel of John, and he follows the life of Jesus, and he, and he gives forth Jesus' teaching. He gives a little commentary, but he doesn't unpack it a lot. He is telling Jesus' story in the letter of 1 John, and all three letters really. That's where John, in mature thought, has taken the t- teaching of Jesus and applied it in the lives of God's people and, and unpacked it and given it its fullness. And it's there that John engages with the teaching and the truth that he encounters from the lips of Jesus. And so, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, he says this, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. Right? See what kind of love, and I think it's the NIV that says, Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us. What kind of love? In one sense, you can hear him saying it and what he means when he asks that. See what kind of love is like, see how great it is. I think there's another translation that goes that direction and says, see how great a love the Father has given to us that we should be called as children. But I think it also goes to actually just what it says. What kind of love is it? Because I love ice cream. right? I love hiking in the woods. I love all kinds of things but what kind of love is it? how what kind of love right and Jesus in this prayer unveils to us this what, what John is celebrating in his letter that you have loved them even as you have loved me that's the kind of love as the father has loved the son so he loves you and that's the thing that we have such hard time what Wrestling with and getting to in our Christian lives to rest in, to believe in, to bask in, to trust in, that that statement is true. But I believe your Christian life can never become what God intends it for it to become until you embrace that truth with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind and all of your strength so that you can give it back to Him. Because a Christian life flows out of this love. Let me just unpack then for a few things of what what this love then, the nature and the power of this love in our lives. You'll see the points in your bulletin under the last part that that it is empowering, that it is exalting, that it is purifying, that it is freeing, and that it is overflowing. It is empowering. In verse 23, when he says that, even as, it's that little Greek word uh, nobody would know, kathos. It's a little Greek word, but it's very specific. See, people have tried to get around the implications of what Jesus is saying here. Surely He can't be saying that the Father loves us as the church in the same way that He loves Jesus, the eternal Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. Surely, surely it can't mean that that, that is the kind of love that God has for you and I. Because if that were the case, the implications are staggering. Right, The implications are hard to wrap your mind around if that's true. But the word means just, it's translated as either even as or just as or in the same way as or to the same extent as. And for all those who try to dance around it and, and make it mean something less or weaker than it really says, it really says even as, just as, to the same extent as, in the same way as. Which is this, you know, the Bible tells us, John in his letter, tells us that God is love. That God has always been love. Before He created the world, God was love. God is love from all eternity. The Father loves the Son who loves the Holy Spirit. Some have said the Father loves the Son and the Holy Spirit is He, in a sense, He incarnation and the, the personalizing of that love, that, the, that there is this relationship in God, the Father who has loved the Son from all eternity, exists in a relationship of perfect love and harmony from before all times and eternity past to eternity future. God is love. Always has been. Always will be. And the astounding thing is that God brings us into the very love of the deity he invites us in isn't that what it means when it says here i am in them and you are in me and i am in you and the love with which you love me you love them we've entered into that circle that trinity that trinitarian love he brings us into the very love of the deity. It's, it is infinite. It has no limits. This is where love has no boundaries. This is where it truly is the boundless sea. The love of the Father from all eternity for the eternal Son. It has no limits. It's eternal. It's everlasting. It doesn't begin. It doesn't end. It doesn't fail. Right? As Paul writes in Romans, love does not fail. When you've entered into this circle of love, it doesn't fail. It has no end. It had no beginning. It is who He is. He is who He is. It is perfect in its wisdom, in its consistency, in its understanding, in its goodness. Always, and you just start to think of the implications of this. The Father is with us as He was with His Son in His earthly ministry. As He walked as a man. As He was incarnating the love of God on earth. That the Father is loving you as His child. Behold, what manner of love? What kind of love is it that God has given to us, invited us into? What confidence, right? He's always on our side. He is always with us. He is always ready to help. He always hears our prayers, just as he hears this prayer, as he hears Jesus praying. You think the Father heard this prayer? The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, oh, He heard. And then He hears our prayers as He hears Jesus' prayers because He loves us like His own children, like He loves the Son. He gives good gifts. He has our best interests always at heart. Always, always working all things together for the good of those who love Him. There is a confidence here that I don't know if you can begin to taste it as you think about what it means to be loved by God. Truly loved loved with the love that is God himself confidence and assurance what comfort there is to live in the knowledge that God is in fact your father perfect father it is it is empowering it is also exalting Right? Jesus says it in verse 24, even as He says this, that these guys who you love me, you love them like you love me. And Jesus has just been starting the prayer all about returning to the Father's side and, and being restored in His glory, the glory that He had with the Father before the foundations of the world. And then He prays this, He says, Father, I desire that these, that these, my people, that they, all whom You have given to me, that they would be with me. Where I am. Again, I don't think we get the impact of what Jesus is saying. He's returning to the, fa- the right hand of the Father. To be restored to His eternal divine glory. To reign as King over everything that exists. And as He has invited us into His love, He says, I want them with me. <laughs> I want them... I want them at my side, even as I am at your side. I want them to see my glory, right? He says, I want them to be with me where I am so that they may see my glory, the glory that you gave me because you loved me before the world was made. I want them with me. I want them to see me as I really am in all my glory. And I want that glory to change them in eternal Life-giving, eternal life-giving ways. His love literally lifts us to be with Him, where He is. You know, our seat is saved. You know, I was thinking about those events you go to, and you get there, and there are little name cards around the, you know, and you look around and find your your name and where your seat is. And what Jesus tells us, what the Scripture tells us, is that He saved you a seat and it's got your name on the little card sitting there, as he, as he wants you to be with Him where He is, that He's already asked the Father, and that prayer has been answered. How do I know? Well, look in your bulletin under the last point. Ephesians chapter 2, it says this, He raised us up with Christ, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ. Done! Checked off his list, in a sense, of of things to do uh, in eternity. Raised up, seated, past tense, in the heavenly places with Christ. There's a place with your name on it. So that. Never stop before the so that. Always finish. If you see a so that, it usually means you thought that was good. Wait till you know why he does this. Right? So that, he says. In the coming ages, He can show to you the immeasurable, incalculable, not able to be grasped and fully understood riches in His grace and kindness toward you in Jesus Christ. It is going to take ages for God to show you what it means that He loves you. It's going to take ages to unpack the inheritance, the immeasurable riches of His grace that become yours because you are in Christ and Christ is in God. And all that is His becomes yours now and in ages and ages to come as you live in and experience the depths of that love. I'm doing the journey as a small group material with some guys this week touched on some of these themes. So I threw a quote in here from The Journey. It's material written by Randy Pope and his staff down in Atlanta. <clears throat> and it says this, Do you understand, do you understand, the glory that awaits God's people? Right? Do, do you long for it? Is it an anchor for your soul? The restoration of God's glory, glorification in you, His people, is the final and consummate step in God's plan to perfect His people and to deliver deliver them from sin. He says, at the same time, Christ will finally be exalted above every power and authority. All remaining power of sin will be broken. The enemies of God will be judged. Death will be destroyed. The curse is going to be lifted. Heaven and earth are going to be renewed and God's people are going to be perfected in the image of Christ in righteousness, in glory, and in physical immortality Forever and so they shall always be with the Lord. I'm ready to go home. (laughs) And it changes everything, doesn't it? I mean, when when this... This love, that we we confine it and we start to think about, well, how comfortable am I? Or how well is, you know, we start to judge God's love for us based on some of the circumstances of life. And and he tells us, in this world, you're going to have trouble. And those who live a godly life for Christ are going to be persecuted. And this life is a veil of sin and death. The world is cursed, it's broken. And you're going to be a part of that. He says, don't our love is not gauged by these things. In fact, his love sets us free from these things. So we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. Because the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Right? And the things that we suffer now, he said, are far outweighed by the eternal weight of glory that he has in the freedom of the children of God that he speaks of in Romans 8. When life is difficult, we do not lose heart. When life is prosperous, it no longer has power over us. Because we don't live in this or for this, I don't live for this. I don't live for a boat. I don't live for a bigger house. I don't, you know, We don't live for better clothes. We don't live for a bigger piece of property. We don't live. All those things are just... It sets us free. Because we know life is short. And my citizenship is in a kingdom far greater and far more enduring. Our seat is saved and my destiny is set. I've been loved with a love that Outlives the destruction of this world and the death of this body. 1 John 3 2, he said, in 1st, remember 1 John 3 1, what manner of love is it that God has given to us that we should be called his children, enter into this kind of inheritance? In verse 2, he says, Beloved, we are God's children now. Get that in your heads. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but here's the thing we know. That when He appears, we're going to be like Him. Because we're going to see Him in all of His glory. And that glory will not leave you as you are, but in the twinkling of an eye, in a moment, at the sound of a trumpet, we will all be changed. And we will be like this glorious Christ. In all of His glory. This is Jesus' prayer. And Jesus' prayer will be answered. He says, Father, I want them to be with me where I am. And I want them to see my glory. And when we see Him as He is, we will be like Him. And so this love is purifying. It's not only empowering and and exalting and lifting us up, but it is purifying. 1 John 3.3 says, What manner of love is this? that We should be called the children of God. And then he says in verse 2, Well, behold, that's what we are. And when we see Him, we're going to be like Him. And so verse 3 is this. It's there in your in Verse 3, the next thing He says is everyone who has this hope in Himself purifies Himself even as He is pure. Oh, they want to be holy because He is holy. They want to be like Him because He has loved them. He has captured their, their hearts and their imagination and, and their strength is towards Him. is with Him. Everyone who has this hope Truly has this hope, gets this hope, abides in this hope, meditates on this hope, trusts and rests in this hope. Purifies himself because the God who loves him is pure. You know, there are some who teach that to talk about God's love like this, unconditional that he has loved that in Christ, and because what he has done on the cross for you, that when your faith is in him and you are in Christ, that, that he loves you like he loves Jesus in his unconditional, eternal, infinite, all consuming love. And they say, don't say that too loudly, because if people hear that, they're going to think they have a ticket to heaven and they're going to live ungodly lives. They're going to just do whatever they want to do because, right? Because it doesn't matter because I'm going to heaven. I got my ticket. It's signed right here. I understand that danger. And there are those who don't know this love who hear about it up here and then act on it like that. I I don't deny there are folks who live inconsistently with a profession. I would just say they don't know this love. They don't know Jesus. Because His love is purifying everyone who has this hope. Everyone who gets it. Everyone where Christ has come to dwell in the heart by faith, that, that through the power of the Holy Spirit in the inner man, has come home to grasp the dimensions of God's love for them, hate sin. And hate everything that it causes and does. It is, it's, this love is a purifying, soul changing and renewing. It, 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 it causes the person to be born again in a love for God, in a love for the things of God. It's purifying. And they're afraid, they're afraid that such unconditional love will will cause people to, to turn away from God. But I'll tell you this, my friends, here's the thing, there's nothing more purifying than verses 23 through 26. Right In verse 26, he says, I've made known to them your name. I've come to dwell in their hearts by faith in the power of the Spirit and the inner man. I've been making Your name known to their souls. Be holy because He is holy. Jesus making God's name known to us. And He says, and I'm going to continue to do that. I'm going to continue to make it known in the inner places and the deep places of their souls so they will know You and they will love You and they will serve You with all their heart and soul and mind and strength. And He says that the love with which You have loved Me may be in them And I will be in them. I will bring it home. If that doesn't purify us, if that doesn't call us to holiness, if that's not enough for us, no amount of fear, no amount of obligation, no amount of duty that you might lose it or, or anything else is going to really cut it. I tell you, love is a far greater motivation than fear. Fear. Romans 5 says God has poured out His love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Romans 8.15, He says, You didn't receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear and to the law. No, I've given you a new spirit. You've received the spirit of adoption. A manner of love that the Father should call you sons and daughters. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. If that doesn't transform our hearts, forget it. And so it is freeing. It is freeing. Do you not breathe free air when you start to grasp it? Do you not lift up your head and breathe deeply of the freedom of the children of God? What can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus? Romans 8, Paul labors, labors You you to understand nothing in all of creation can separate us so we've learned to celebrate like the psalmists in psalm 117 there in your bold and he says great is his steadfast love toward us the faithfulness of our lord endures forever and so i do not fear Psalm 103, he says, He does not deal with us according to our sins. He does not repay us according to our iniquities. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward the people who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions. It's like a father showing compassion to his children. What manner of love is this? That I am free from the guilt... And the punishment due to my sin. So the Lord shows compassion on those who fear Him. The psalmists celebrate this eternal, enduring love and faithfulness of God that is ours through the cross of Christ. And so, John, in 1 John 4, unpacking the implications of this love that Jesus prays over His people, he says there, chapter 4, there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear, my friends, my children. For fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. They haven't gotten it. They haven't gotten what manner of love the Father has given to you. There is no punishment in it anymore. You are not under law, but under grace. You are in Christ. And what He has done, He has done for you. He has borne the penalty once and for all. It will never be borne again. By you or anyone else. In Christ, sin and its penalty is paid. The debt is paid. And we are free. Free to follow Christ. Free to live for righteousness. Free to fail. Well, we will fail. But we'll fail in the right direction. Right? And we're free to fail and dust ourselves off and to live a life of repentance and to, and to return to Christ and to put our faith and our trust in Him that what He did on the cross covers my sin and to forget what is behind and press on toward what is ahead. And so you can see how it would overflow, don't you? So we're back to the prayer of Jesus. He says, Father, I want them to know that You have loved them even as You have loved me. Because I, I want the world to know we can't be witnesses to that which we don't Know and experience ourselves. That the world may know we are blessed to be a blessing. As Jesus was sent as an incarnation of God's love, so He sends us into the world to bear witness to the Savior and to His love. A love that has, that has empowered us and exalted us and purified us and, and set us free. the cross, there never was and never will be a greater expression of love than we have seen in the cross of Christ, where He has made it all possible. The cross, through the cross, we become a free and holy people. Witnesses and ambassadors to something unspeakable. A gospel. A message of good news. This kind of love springs up. Into a life of holiness. It wells up from within, and the Christ who dwells there by the power of His Spirit into a life of holiness and a life of love and a life of witness to a God who has loved us so well. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we come this morning and we confess that we have not had big enough thoughts of your love, that we have not dared, as we should, to believe its full dimensions. Father, come near this morning and speak freedom to our souls. Exalt us in this love. Empower us in this love. Purify us in this love and flow through our lives into a world that needs to know of the Savior and His love. Father, we thank You for this great love. We love You too. We want to love You more with all our whole heart heart and all our soul, and all our mind, and all our strength. Consume us. Consume us with your love. We ask you in Jesus' name. Amen.